0: Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben.
1: Greetings, human listeners.
0: Greetings to everyone. We also have another special guest for this week's episode of the podcast. So I'd like to introduce William Clavey from ClaveysCorner.com. Say hi to the people too, Will. Hello, everyone. Hello, Will. You know what? I've seen your work all over the place. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. And we've also interacted a couple of times on all of these press programs that we do. So I'm really happy because you've got some great opinions to share on all the cars that we're talking about this week. Before we get into that, I was hoping that you could plug a couple of publications that you write for. How about that, Will? Sure.
2: Sure, I'll do that, Sammy. Uh, And by the way, thanks for having me on the show. Really looking forward to it. Um, You can find my work uh, in a couple of places, on The Drive Jalopnik. I also write uh, for some media outlets in Quebec and
0: French. And uh, I have my own website, com. Wonderful. And Ben, before we get started, why don't you plug a couple of the publications that you write for as well? Sure. You can
1: find my work at Automobile Magazine, Motor Trend, Driving Line, and Hagerty Classic Car. And... I just wanted to let everyone know the Kickstarter campaign for my first graphic novel, Code 45, has gone super well. We, uh, we've met our funding goals almost immediately, and we're kind of pushing forward to see how far we can take it and see if we can't get a few more cool uh, rewards into the hands of people who've backed us. And I know a lot of people listening to the podcast, they reached out to me, they told me that they were going to get involved, and they did, and I can't thank you enough.
0: That is fantastic. Thank you, everybody who contributed to the Code, code 45 Kickstarter. That's wicked. Um, this week, we've got some pretty cool cars, Pretty cool cars to talk about. I'm going to start it off this week because I drove, um, for the first time ever, a Ferrari, and not just any Ferrari, a very special one. It's called the F8 Tributo, which is a mid-engined Ferrari. It, kind of, it pretty much replaces, actually, the 488 GTB. Any questions about this thing, guys? Uh, my first question is, why didn't they
1: name it the LaFerrari Ferrari Ferrari Ferrari? Because that would have seemed to be <laughs> a logical progression based on the last couple of years of their branding.
0: That is very true. The naming, actually, of the car is in reference to it being uh, sort of an anniversary for Ferrari to commemorate the last 20 years of the um the the v8 engine that they had this started with the 360 modena and then went into the uh f 430 and then the 458 and then the 488 which became turbocharged and then this model as well which is turbocharged as so, well so this is supposed to be this kind of 20-year commemoration for them
1: for for you mean for like a mid-engine v8 right
0: yes a mid-engine v8 okay and yeah I'm i have a question had some,
2: yeah sure go ahead did you drive one that was not red?
0: <laughs> I did. I drove, I drove a blue one and a black one and a yellow one. And I've got oh. to tell you, this thing is pretty attractive. I'm really impressed with the um, design of the Ferrari. I think that's pretty standard fare when it comes to looking at any Ferrari. They're usually oh, I don't pretty know. cars.
1: There's some weird-looking Ferraris out there.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. You they mean like all the pretty.
1: GTC4 Lusso? No, I, I don't think that's, I mean, I don't think that's a particularly unattractive car, but, I mean, they do have a history of sometimes missing the boat on uh, on styling.
2: Okay. Which one was it? Which one was it? Was it the 612 that was very, it was a big car with very tiny headlights? Yeah, I, I, I remember kind of that weird.
1: one. It was almost like <laughs> a, the 612 was almost like a, what was that company? A TVR, in yes, some ways. Yeah, that's a yeah. great
0: way to describe it. Yeah. And uh, um,
1: I, I think that you know some of the more extreme cars, like the FXX, is I mean I wouldn't call that a pretty car. I'm not saying it's ugly, but it's not like it's. I don't think it has the same kind of classic styling as maybe the F8 does.
0: Do you think we can uh, talk about the classic styling here? I mean, there's a pretty. good I think it's a good progression from the four five eight. It's a pretty attractive looking car, and they've made some really like uh, modern tweaks to the to the F8 and and. Any place you see that the car's design has been massaged, they've also managed to make it somewhat functional. This car is far more aerodynamic than the 488 GTB that uh, replaces it. It also has these round taillights, which are an homage to a 1975 um, Ferrari, the GTB. And then it has this, uh, they call it a Lexan engine cover, which is this kind of louvered engine cover, which is supposed to remind you of the F40, which is a pretty cool um, homage, in my opinion.
1: Whenever I think Lexan, I, I
0: think about drag
1: racers and how they replace the glass in their cars with Lexan because it's lighter. And because it's lighter, it rattles like crazy. So I didn't have that issue with this. Well, I um, wouldn't think
0: so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to admit there's one design element I really don't like about the exterior. It's the door handles, which are these tiny little nub fins on the side of the car. I don't know if you've seen yeah, in any photographs. I saw. They look I saw so the car out of place.
2: Yeah, I saw the car in Geneva last year, and you're right. Those door handles—that—that's what I, I noticed about them. They do don't—they don't fit there, don't they?
0: <laughs> no, they don't. Not at all. But it also has these. Um, it also has like these fantastic. You know, I think the best way to put it is these hips, I guess, um, where the air intake is by the um, rear end of the vehicle. It really looks sharp here. And but they really—they uh, really
1: changed the rear end completely. Like if you look at yeah. it versus yeah. the 488, it, yeah. not just the louvers you were talking about, but the rear wing, the way the cutouts work, uh, the taillights, um, the, the huge area underneath the taillights uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's no longer body color. It's its really a, a – a, you know, from the front, it doesn't look super different. But from the back, I mean no. – It's uh, – I mean, I think – It's a new, very busy
2: – it's, it's a very busy design. You yeah. think this new no. model is very busy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in my book, you can't beat the three five five, but that's 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 my that's, personal taste. I mean, that's my yeah.
1: favorite modern Ferrari in terms of design, but I know I could never oh, ever yeah. own it because it's like the worst possible for maintenance. Like every twenty thousand miles, it's engine out, and I mean, I yeah. could, that just you, you can't do that. The Medea that came after it was so much better engineered, but it just doesn't have the look that the three fifty five does.
0: Um, exactly. The, the issue with the three five five that I have is that it just reminds me of Outrun all the time. What's wrong with um, that? I think that's awesome. Actually, yeah, what, that's all. Cool I that? that's it all doesn't I seem see like an see, I just see it in pixel art. That's what I. That's my problem with the three five five. You should get that looked at.
2: Wasn't well, it in a in a movie with uh, in a movie with Adam Sandler and Damon Wayans? What, um, <laughs> what, what movie is that? Like back in the nineties. That car was in a movie with Adam Sandler. Three Five Five. What was the name of that movie again? I don't know. Anyway, they're like. Anyway, I I got to look it up. But yeah, that movie that movie kind of that's what I I, I think about when I think about the Three Five Five.
1: The movie was What's called the... Bulletproof.
2: Oh. Yes. There you go. And they steal <laughs> it. Go. They steal the the car. They steal
1: it in the beginning. I remember that Damon Wayans is wearing absolutely ridiculous headgear in most of the movie. <laughs> Like stuff like there's no reason for him to be wearing it. I think it was like an early 80s version. I think like he, at one point he takes like a flashlight and he stuffed it up under a leather beanie he was wearing so that he didn't have to use his hands to use it. And it's it's just not <laughs> a good look.
2: I'm going to watch that movie again just for the 355 scene.
0: There you go. Um, let's talk about this car a little bit more. The engine that you find mid, mid- midship, I guess, is a 3.9 liter turbochar- twin turbocharged uh, V8. It's pretty much the same engine that you would find in the highest performance version of the 488 GTB, which is known as the the, the Pista, I believe. Um, this thing makes 710 horsepower, and it is fast as hell, guys. This thing does zero to sixty in 2.9 seconds. Um, it takes seven. Uh, it takes 7.8 seconds to hit um, 124 miles per hour, which is ex- extremely fast. I mean, it's it's. Disturbingly fast. Sammy, actually. how
1: quickly does it take the the how how long does it take the Corvette CA to reach zero to sixty?
0: You know what? Oh. I don't have that. I don't have that number with me. Do you remember at all? Two point nine. I think I might two point eight or two point nine. Yeah, exactly the same as the Ferrari. That's true. Um, there's a way that it feels though that the Corvette did not. And I mean, me and you both went on this program with with the Corvette, um, and, and there was. The launch of the Corvette just never felt, I think, dramatic enough. While this turbocharged Ferrari, it just launches you, man. It is so impressive that – and you know what? Like, I took it to a very uh, big track. This is Road Atlanta, which is a pretty big intimidating track with a straight that's almost a mile long. And when you put your foot down during that whole straight, it's like being a, in a sci-fi movie and hitting hyperspace. Just everything. Yeah, I, I
2: get – I get what you mean, Sammy. Because if you compare the launch control in, like, for example, a Nissan GTR versus a Lamborghini Huracan, um, the Lamborghini is a lot more dramatic. Uh, it feels mm-hmm. it feels a lot faster, even though it's not. Um, uh, the Ital- Italian car makers are good at making the car feel a lot faster than it is.
1: I also has, think the, you
2: know, the has... sorry, go on. No, go 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 oh, ahead. I'm just going
1: to say, like, also the the Huracan is lighter than the GTR, and I think that helps a lot too. Oh yeah, right. Just in terms yeah. of how, like, how immediate the sensation is.
2: It's awesome. But they also have this urgency, you know, the way the engine, you know, the way it sounds, the way it, it revs, the way it, mm-hmm. it, it, it obviously lightweight helps. Um, but it's kind of, it's, it's like it's similar to like the old Hondas, you know, back to the old Honda VTEC days. They weren't quick, but they felt quick. Um, So, you know, I think the Italians are really good at making those engines really sound very urgent, and you just have this great
0: sensation behind the wheel. Anyway, it's my two cents. That's actually really important that you bring that up, because a lot of people were worried when Ferrari went turbocharged, especially with this V8, which always sounded really good in the uh, 458. uh, When they went turbocharged in the 488, people were worried that it wouldn't sound very um, attractive. And I think the outcome wasn't very impressive. But with the F8, they've really tuned it. Um, it has an 8,000 RPM red line, and the car oh, sounds wow. pretty impressive. Uh, it doesn't really have that uh, that that bleh turbo noise that you, you kind of expect through some turbocharged uh, V8. This really does sound um, – it sounds like a Ferrari, which is great. Um right. Another thing that you mentioned was lightweight. Now, this thing is um, much lighter than the uh, 488, about 40 kilograms lighter altogether, and 18 of those kilograms were saved in the engine, which uh, is a pretty impressive feat. They've switched to a lot of titanium in the engine, um, and they've um, also adjusted the exhaust components, which is a, a reason why it sounds so so impressive but one of the areas they didn't actually change the hardware was the suspension and that's kind of impressive when you're talking about a whole new generation of of supercar that's kind of something that you would expect um, someone like ferrari to adjust one of the things that they did was they retuned the um that they have like those magna how do you pronounce this i have to make sure i say it right because it's a mouthful Uh, magna hered lodge oh no Guys, just say just help say Mag-
1: just say, Mag- <laughs> say Magnaride because it's a General Motors technology that Ferrari has licensed. Yeah. go.
0: rheological yeah.
1: suspension.
0: That's yeah. right. It is Magna It's the same magnet. it's
1: it's not essentially it's exactly the same. It's the same thing you'd find It is. It's in, a uh, different Atlanta. name. Listen to this. Yeah, that's that's the technical name for it, but it's the same thing you'll find in a Yukon Denali or a Corvette. It's there's no difference.
0: And
2: Don't tell that to a Ferrari owner though. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, your suspension is the same as a Yukon, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in that in that process of using this uh, suspension system, somehow the latest generation or the latest tune that they put on it um, allows the vehicle to feel so much more um, confident um, on the track, really confident on the track, really really responsive on the track. But where Ferrari really wanted to get um, this suspension dialed in was on the road. And I think you guys have both been in supercars which feel really stiff and uncomfortable. They kind of jostle you around. They're loud. Um, And the F8, I I mean, I guess it wouldn't be so much of a surprise to tell you that this thing is extremely docile on the the pavement, which is really impressive.
1: But is that something you want in a supercar? Like, you know, Will was talking earlier about drama. And I think drama is important when you're driving a vehicle like this. And I don't know if I want that drama to only be available in certain situations. I kind of like the idea... Of a supercar feeling like an event every time I drive it,
0: feeling hardcore right. all the time.
1: Not necessarily like, like hardcore, but special.
2: Yeah, take take the McLaren 600 LT is a good example of that. Oh, yeah, I that's find a that the very it, there's a lot of drama in driving that thing. You got flames flying out the back. You you know mm-hmm. it's breaking your back when you go over potholes. I I like, and it's it's actually kind of ironic that we say that about a McLaren because it should be the other way around. Yeah. You're telling me the Ferrari is docile and now the McLaren's the. It's a circus when you drive it.
0: That's a great point. I mean, truly, the 600LT the is insane on the road, and I don't oh, think God. I'd ever want to spend a whole day with it. But this Ferrari uh, driving not on the track uh, felt very good, but then it also straddles that line of being absolutely nuts on the track. Um, ben, I mentioned that I was on Road Atlanta, and this is a very intimidating track. There's a lot of elevation change. There's a couple of blind corners. Um, it's a very fast track. Um, very much in the, in the old school kind of track territory where there's not a lot of runoff, there's, no, there's not a lot of space for, uh, there's no margin of error, essentially. And this is a track that I haven't spent a lot of time on ever before. So getting into a car with 710 horsepower um, and with a price tag like this Ferrari, uh, you have to, I'll admit that I was very intimidated, but just after two laps, this thing started feeling really uh, impressive and I felt like I could take the whole thing on. Um, without as much fear as I did when I first started, which I think is a pretty good progression. Very few supercars, I think, operate at your level. They always want you to go at the maximum attack as much as possible. And if you're not doing that, it feels like a waste. And I didn't feel like that with the Ferrari. It felt like it can match you no matter what. And I thought that's a great, um, a great feature, something that, uh, that the buyers will definitely enjoy. And what you said uh, price, that, what, what price is it? So I have the price at around two hundred and forty thousand dollars US, um, or two hundred fifty thousand dollars US. I'll double check that price. Uh, yeah, is
2: this one of those uh, of those Ferraris where Ferrari chooses you to buy it, or you can can you buy the F eight? And tomorrow I win the lottery. Can I go in a Ferrari dealer and buy one, or does Ferrari decide if I can buy? it?
0: I believe that they're letting anybody buy this thing. Uh, I, I don't think it says limited as the other, um, the, like the LaFerrari that, uh, that you're mentioning. I think that's the only one that really came with that kind of um, mm. stipulation.
1: You know, I, okay. I, I was just thinking too, um, in terms of price. So if we want to talk about cars that do 0 to 60 in 2.9 seconds, the previous generation 911 Turbo, that's what it did. And mm. it did it for 160000 So you have... The Corvette doing it at fifty nine thousand. You have the nine eleven doing it at one hundred and sixty one thousand. Now you have this and this sit- thing.
0: Sorry, oh. I got it wrong. Two hundred ninety three pounds. Two hundred ninety three thousand. Okay. Jesus. <laughs> so and I, I by the that- way, Ben, you you can get a Tesla now.
2: They can do that. So
1: that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. So and, and and if you look, you know, at the the next generation nine eleven turbo, it claims zero to sixty in two point six seconds, and wow. a, a two hundred five mile an hour top speed. But the price for that car. Is two hundred and three thousand dollars. So my question for you, Sammy, yes. is the Ferrari worth another hundred grand on top of a nine eleven turbo?
0: Okay, so there. it's worth talking about because uh, nine eleven turbos are all wheel drive, as far as I remember. And that's, that's a turbo and, S. Sorry, to, to be clear. And that also adds um, a significant amount of weight. And I'm not sure that the the flat six motor that they would use in a in a nine eleven turbo would sound as impressive as a Ferrari. Um, engine here. So the, I think that's an important thing to talk about when, when you know, we mentioned the drama of these yeah. vehicles, and I think there's a lot of character in what a Ferrari provides um, that a 911 might not be able to... To There's
2: also the on. exclusivity, the exclusivity of a Ferrari. You see 911s everywhere. Uh, you don't yeah. see Ferrari everywhere.
1: And, and not it's, only do you see 911s everywhere, but like if you own a 911 Turbo S, and you pay mm-hmm. 200 grand for that, and a guy pulls up beside you in a Carrera... You know that he paid like ninety grand for. I, it still looks a lot like your car, and that's <laughs> yeah. that's never yeah. going to happen in the Ferrari.
0: That's exactly. true. So I, I think it's it's all about uh, the customer in this regard, and Ferrari is really trying to impress these people. I will admit, instead of being on a regular uh, program that I was on, I was on a program with I think a bunch of customers, um, which was kind of cool to get in the mindset of somebody who might actually buy one of these cars. Uh, the guys on the program all had uh, a few of them actually had Porsche 911 GT3 and uh, one had a GT3 RS, one had a GT3 Touring. Um, and their impressions were that the GT3s were actually a little bit too hardcore for the everyday drive while this uh, Ferrari felt really um, on point. Now, that might just be um, they're being you know kind of impressed by Ferrari in general rather than just the car. Um, also, Ferrari seems to be aiming for a uh, an annual mileage on these kinds of cars. Like they 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 think that the average owner will spend about five thousand miles on this thing per year, which is a lot for a that Ferrari. Seems optimistic, to yeah, me. that's a lot, yeah. That's what they think uh, their their car is capable of, which is capable. You know, of. sorry, like that's what their, <laughs> their, their, their buyers will be comfortable with. And I think that's a, that's why the car feels so much more um, natural on the road. Well, yeah,
1: and that's why it surprised me when you said, like, it's easy to drive long distance or comfortable on the road. Because I don't think anyone's ever going to do that, you know? Like, I, I, at least yeah. in my experience, the Ferrari owners that I know, they don't drive the cars at all. <laughs> it's, it's, no, exactly. A, because, and, 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 you know, I don't see that. It's not It's not necessarily – it's because these cars are so expensive. The more miles you put on them, the harder it is to sell them later. Like the invest, it's it really is an investment for some people, and that money is they don't want to throw it away. You know, if you can sell your F eight for the same price you paid for it five years from now, that's a that's you're doing well. But if you put ten thousand miles a year on it, you won't be able to do that.
2: However, what what I'll add is that that's the baby Ferrari. Remember, so it's the lineage that you know we talked about the three five five and then the four eight eight. Still, but it's still still they never never appreciate. What was that? It's still three
1: hundred grand though.
2: Yeah, but they never they never keep their value that much. Those cars, I mean, they're not they don't have a reputation of, of staying of appreciating in value that much, even when they have low mileage. But it's
1: it's not uh, even compared. it's not so much a question of appreciating; it's just a question of maintaining their value so that you can keep. It, 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 a lot of ways, yeah. uh, I uh, a friend of mine, a Ferrari owning friend of mine, it's it's a way for them to park money. So you park yeah, 300 so. grand for three years, and then you can sell it, and you haven't lost money, you haven't gained money. But, I mean, you, you got something that you could enjoy from time to time, and then you could break even when you sell it.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the mindset of a, of a Ferrari owner. You heard it here. Um, anything well, else you think I should talk about with this car before we move on to the next uh, interesting vehicle here? Well,
1: is it is it the – I mean, if you were to put it in a in a comparison with other – cars you really like to drive other sports cars you really like driving over the last yeah. 2 years where does this fit
0: this is right near the top if it isn't the most uh, enjoyable car there's a few ones especially uh supercar supercar wise that um that impressed me performance wise i think the 720s is a um, is an amazing the McLaren 720 is an amazing car, except for I could not fall in love with the way it sounded, and I wasn't so impressed with the interior. The F8 Tributo has a, a far more accessible interior, in my opinion. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people talk about uh, the Lamborghini Huracan and the Performante, or even the Aventador, and those cars are very dramatic, but not exactly the most high-performance vehicle vehicles. I do really like the Performante, but, it, I mean, in terms of how it feels in comparison to the F8... As I mentioned, I really like the, the F 8s ability to adapt to any sort of um, speed or driving conditions. Okay. My last question, Sammy, is if you were if you were a kid today
2: yep. and posters were still a thing, would you have a poster of an F eight tributo on your bedroom wall?
0: I mean, I guess posters still exist. We just use them on our on our cell phone. Yeah, it's the background. It's your lock a, screen car. image, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Honestly, I'm not. I, that's a tough question to ask because there's so many other really pretty cars, and you know even like the La Ferrari, if you find that you know really pretty, or the the other like hypercar level vehicles. I'm in touch with, yeah. like I really like those Conan Segs, for example. Um, I think the, the F8 is definitely a poster kind of a poster on the wall kind of car. Okay. Uh, okay. I would love to see a new Outrun with a, a uh, an F8 or That'd be <laughs> Honestly, ass, Like right? ten
1: minutes ago, you were trash talking Outrun. That's and not now, what I said. I now said you all want... I
0: can think of is pixel art when I think of the 355. Because Honestly, of you're outright. over the place on your L1 oh, politics. <laughs> well, okay. Now that you've caught me in a, in a lie, we're going to go into the next <laughs> car to talk about on How the podcast. How convenient that Will is here to save you from yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so... Will, you drove a brand new uh, crossover that I'm really excited to talk about. This is the Kia yeah. Seltos, which I'm not exactly. exactly a fan of the name, but no, it's just talk to me about, about this car. <laughs> well, you know,
2: I, it, it's interesting because, you know, you and I, right before the Seltos, we were both driving the uh, Volkswagen Atlas Cross Sport, which we both didn't like. Um, right. and it, was inter- it was interesting to drive that little Kia, which I was very, I was quite impressed by that little thing. I find the Koreans these days, they're, they're doing a really good job at at selling what people want. Uh, I find what, re- what really stood out in the Celtos was the packaging with that little thing, because obviously there's a lot of choices in that category, right? And now they're kind of creating these new micro categories with the Mazda CX-30. Uh, mm-hmm. What else is there? Um, who else did that? Well, the Celtos is one of those micro categories. It kind of slots between a Soul and a Nero and a Sportage. Um, so you know it it offers a lot for the price that's what I liked. I mean your base price of twenty two thousand dollars twenty four grand with all wheel drive and you're getting quite a lot for your money. that's a Kia tradition, right, getting a lot for your money yeah uh, and what I find the Koreans are doing really well is that they're they're doing what g m did back in the eighties and nineties, which is selling the same car under three different brands, but they're doing it a lot better all, they all feel different, they all look different, for example, that's a Kona. But it doesn't look like a Kona. It has a longer wheelbase. It has more legroom. It has a larger trunk. It has a higher roofline. So it's all... It, it's it's a so Kona it's that like is not...
0: not it's, yeah, it's like a Kona Plus.
2: Exactly. So, and it, it's funny in the presentation, I mean, the Kia reps... It's funny to see how Kia and Hyundai are fighting each other. Uh, how throughout the entire technical presentation, they were basically like... And telling us, no, don't buy a Kona. It's better. And, you know, we're like, this is the same brand. Like, what the hell's going on? But, um, you know, they're selling so many Konas, I guess they they can afford to do that. Um, so I'll talk about the good and then the bad after. Um, so I'll talk about packaging. Uh, you're getting a lot for your money. And I find that, you know, the the way it drives, it's, it was actually surprisingly fun to drive. Even the, even the bargain basement one, uh, base engine is a two-liter naturally aspirated from the Kia Forte. It comes with the CVT transmission Kia calls IVT. Uh, but you know, for what it's worth, it does a good job. I mean, I like a car where when I thrash it, it responds well. I don't know if you guys know what I mean. Um, you beat the shit out of it. Not, not that consumers will do that, but it responds well. It handles good. Uh, the engine likes to rev the transmission does its job properly. Okay. And then we opted for that 1.6 turbo with the uh, dual clutch transmission. That was like the cherry on the cherry on top. It was just even more fun to drive. Right. Um, that said, Kia has had some problems in reliability lately with their engines. Um, is the Seltos going to be a reliable engine? Is it going to be a car? Is it going to end up having oil consumption issues? Perhaps we don't know. Um, okay. And you know the fact that you can only get the turbo engine on the higher trim level. It's like thirty four thousand dollars. That's not worth it in my book. Okay. Um,
1: but is that is that but overall, pricing or American pricing?
2: That's Canadian pricing. Okay, so okay. I guess in, in, in U.S. Uh, pricing that would translate to maybe 30 or 28 or something.
1: Yeah, I, I guess you that, can't really. I see that it starts around 21 uh, from what I'm so, seeing.
0: You can get a turbo okay. actually in in a different trim level in the U.S. That's the S Turbo, which is a twenty five thousand dollar vehicle, and then the SX oh. Turbo, which is a twenty eight ish thousand dollar. Oh, uh, what, okay. I like,
1: what I like about it is that you can actually get all wheel drive because if you look at comparably yeah. sized models like, for example, the Toyota CHR, you can't get all wheel drive; it's front wheel drive only. And it, they're not the only. Uh, what's the other one? The vehicle that Sammy and I like so much, the Kicks. I believe the that's, yeah. that's front wheel drive only as well, right?
2: Yeah. And Yeah, exactly. And the venue, the Hyundai venue. And contrary to what people think, that's not a venue because the venue doesn't use the same platform as the Kona. The venue is the Hyundai accent that they just put it like an SUV body on it. It's Aha, not the same
0: platform. That's what they did.
2: Whereas Kona, yeah, so it's kind of complicated with the Koreans because they're, they're different platforms. They're the same modular platform that they're playing with. So Kona, Nero, uh, Seltos, and Seoul, they're all riding on the same architecture that they're fiddling around with, or they're, they're stretching, widening. Uh, changing the roofline, whereas a, a venue really is a Hyundai accent, which is an older generation platform.
1: Now, about the name, did anyone say why it's called Seltos? Because Seltos is probably one of the worst names I've heard of in the last five <laughs> years. Like it's, 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 it's,
2: it sounds. Sorry, go on. It sounds even worse in French because it kind of translates to a toast with, with salt on it.
1: Yeah, it's 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 strange because there's nothing offensive about the name, but there's also nothing interesting about it. Like it's it feels like a completely fabricated name with no heritage or history, but yet at the same time it doesn't sound like they fabricated something cool. <laughs>
2: you know? No, exactly. Yeah, no, the name I'm not sure. Um however the product I would recommend it. I mean, if for somebody who's looking for, you know, a cheap fun little crossover, it has a whole bunch of cool features like you, I mean, I mean, for us, I mean, we're talking about a twenty-five thousand dollar vehicle. It has through an app, you can find your car like in a parking lot if you lose it. Um, you can pair two phones at once. Uh, it even has these little ambient sounds. I mean, you can have like waterfalls or birds chirping oh, in the cabin. I don't I'm want not, that. <laughs> I love
1: I that. I don't want <laughs> that. I mean, but, I mean no. I like, no. Thank you. Like it or not, I love that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Like it or not, it's cool. I mean, it's different, right? Kia's trying to something <laughs> different. So I find that for the money, you know, you're getting a lot.
1: I like. I, I would love it if that was the Celto's tagline. Like it or not, it's cool.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but, is the best competitor for this considered to be the uh, Subaru Crosstrek, I suppose? Yeah, Subaru Crosstrek
2: or the new Mazda CX-30, which I right. also really liked. I find right now in that segment, uh, you know, the game has changed. Um, I would say that, you know, the game, the, the, the best models, in my opinion right now, would be Mazda CX-30 and Seltos in terms of what you're getting for the price. Right. Uh, right. You know, you're getting a lot for your money. You're getting all-wheel drive. Seltos has the largest cargo capacity in the segment. I mean, it's larger That's than the Guy. Uh, it's actually... It's funny because I wrote a review recently uh, about the Jeep Cherokee total cargo space in the Celtos is bigger than in a jeep cherokee
1: and, and so that's an interest what's the interior like in the celtos versus the cross Trek?
2: it's uh i i you know what I liked about the what they're doing Kia's been really good at doing that lately is the materials are the same the quality of materials are the same as in other brands but they're they're kind of like playing with with shapes and designs and styling to trick the eye into believing that they're they're better quality materials than they actually are so when you sit in it the first impression is oh my god this feels very upscale until you touch the materials and you realize it's the same shitty plastic as in everything <laughs> in that price range but honestly i find they did a really good job it's it's really hard to find uh, negative points to that vehicle, except maybe that the you know the two liter engine is loud. Uh, it has a CVT which sucks in the first place. It's a good CVT,
0: but it's a CVT anyway. But honestly, for the target buyer, it's quite good. Okay, um, I wanted to ask if this you know you you mentioned something really important that's the momentum that Kia and Hyundai have had with their vehicles. Uh, I think he in particular. I was really excited when the Stinger came out, and um, it changed our perception on what kind of cars that uh, what kind of cars they can make. And I think they followed it up really well with the uh, Telluride, which I think is a fantastic SUV. Oh do yeah, think, oh yeah. Do you do you start to see some of that mindset trickling into the into cars like the Seltos or, or is that kind of uh, that kind of um, feeling of special? That kind of feeling of a special vehicle yeah. reserved for the yeah. higher trim level or the higher vehicles. That's
2: a good point, Sammy. And it's it's funny because you know I mentioned the Volkswagen Atlas Cross Sport. Um, yeah. You know, and coming, you know, the Atlas Cross Sport, it it felt like it felt honestly like I wasn't getting enough for the price that they were asking for it. It felt mm-hmm. cheaply built. It felt flimsy. Um, it felt of low quality and you know very underpowered, bad on gas. It felt like Volkswagen was trying to rip off consumers with it. And, it. and that's very ironic because, you know, 10 years ago, we wouldn't have said that. We would have said, buy a Volkswagen. It's a good product. It's solid. It's over-engineered. It's, you know, a good build quality. And don't get a Kia because it's a flimsy built Korean product. And, you know, the tables have flipped. I mean, Kia has the qualities that Volkswagen used to have. Uh, they feel solid. They feel well put together. The driving experience feels like somebody actually calibrated the chassis, you know, thought thought out, you know, about driving dynamics. Um, so yeah, when I got out of that little car, I felt, wow, this is a refreshing, fun, and interesting product that I would I would actually be interested in buying myself.
1: And and you know, the other important part I think that distinguishes Kia and Hyundai versus Volkswagen is the warranty. I mean. You have a huge warranty with these vehicles, but not only that, you mentioned there are some reliability issues with engines, but overall, the build quality versus a Volkswagen is higher at this point, just in terms of, uh, I would think, long-term ownership.
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been saying that in my reviews lately, I mean, especially the Volkswagen reviews, I drove the Archeon uh, this this winter, and I'm like, I was thinking, why get this when you can get a Stinger? Um, and you know, the, the, the German brands need to start taking the Koreans seriously because they're going to eat them up. Um, they're doing a solid job right now. They're not, and we have, I think people have to get out of their mind, you know, the, the expression, oh, it's not bad for a Kia. It's okay for a Hyundai. No, it's, it's, it's a great product, period. And it ends there. I think yeah. that's the mindset that we should have now.
1: I think you're right. And I think, but you know, what's fascinating is how long it takes for that change to happen because the cars have been great for quite a while. And yet, that initial negative
0: brand image still looms over, the seg- the, over both companies. That's right. Yeah. Um, there was one more thing I wanted to add. First of all, this sounds like a, a really solid pick in, in that segment of not quite compact and not quite, not quite subcompact. Especially when you're comparing it to the Cash Guy and the Crosstrek, which are two uh, very boring vehicles, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and this seems to be far more spacious than a Kona, and that's a pretty big advantage as well. Uh, the other idea I wanted to bring up is you mentioned that it shares the same platform as the Soul and Kona uh, and Nero, all of which have had alternate uh, alternate powertrains. Yeah. Can you imagine Kia considering something like a hybrid or a battery electric Kia Celtos in the future?
2: So we we asked about that, and uh, the position at Kia is actually pretty they're pretty direct. Is that no, because they wanted the Seltos to really be targeted to a different kind of uh, demographic. They they see the Seltos as being more as an adventurous kind of, you know, boxy, kind of, you know, four-wheel drive. They even had this concept uh, version at the Montreal Auto Show. and I don't know if you guys saw it. It was lifted with these big, you know, like this overlanding look. Um, So they really want to, like, pitch the Seltos as this lifestyle, outdoorsy, kind of cross-track-style vehicle. They already have the Nero EV. uh, Mm -hmm. And the Nero is doing a good job at being kind of like the Prius for Kia. Uh, You get three versions of it. You get a a, a hybrid, a plug-in hybrid, a, a full EV. And then there's the Soul so no, Kia is pretty straightforward. They don't have any plans with the Celtos uh, to, to to make it anything different than what it is. Awesome.
0: Um, and while we're on the subject of alternate powertrains, Ben, I want you to to, to finish off this podcast, Strong, with your uh, impressions of the hybrid electric turbocharged supercharged vehicle that you drove this past week what is it again
1: it's the 2020 Vol- volvo xc60 t8 polestar engineered sammy that's the full name that's the full okay. name they have
0: that badge on the back somewhere all they across, got a whole right?
1: bunch of badges all over the place yeah. um
0: some of them are a little crooked some of them are better. At <laughs> I'm not,
1: no i'm not kidding the one on the grill uh Whoops. is was not was not properly
2: aligned but um
1: so it, this is a very very strange vehicle, and I'm, I'm gonna it's a very enumer- good
2: looking one. I'll say I'll I'll, I'll say that it looks yeah, great. It,
1: it does look. Good. I, I'll get to enumerate the ways it's strange in a moment, but I want to say the XC60. If you're looking for like a midsize crossover, it's it, it looks great. It's comfortable. Uh, the drivetrain, the non plug-in drivetrain, is pretty good. Uh, The plug-in drivetrain is pretty good as well, outside of the Polestar engineering universe. So I'm going to talk about what I mean by that in in a moment. But uh, it's a solid choice. That's so ominous, the way you describe (laughs) it. I don't know. It's it's a solid choice. If you're looking for a a luxurious crossover and you don't want to drive – you you kind of think that the X3 is bland – and the the Q the Q5 the interior is not quite up to par anymore. I mean, this is a great alternative. Um, the Polestar engineered version is the strangest possible take on what people might want out of a luxury SUV. First of all, it's sixty nine thousand dollars in the states and a, and eighty nine thousand dollars in Canada It's super expensive. Holy cow. It is far.
2: That's not far. Sorry to interrupt you, but that's not far away from a BMW X3 M. No, yeah, it's really not.
1: Looking even, up. the wildest thing is it's it's thirty thousand dollars more than a base model X like sixty. Oof. And that's and a- <laughs> that's that's just it's 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 very, very expensive. And in fact, you can get the the T eight uh plug in hybrid version if you don't want the Polestar version, you can get it for sixty one. So it's it's nearly a ten thousand dollar increase over the standard plug-in hybrid. And that's in inscription trim, which is like Fairly well appointed. I think you can also get an R designed version of the hybrid that's even cheaper. Well, it's it's marginally cheaper. They're both around that, that sixty-one thousand dollar mark. But the reason the Polestar engineered car is so strange is because it thinks that you want to drive this vehicle quickly in a sporty or aggressive manner. And it it caters to that by adding things that no one who buys a crossover wants on their vehicle. Primarily <laughs> It has manually adjustable shock absorbers at all four corners from Olin's. Oh, oh my god. Wow. I know. I, I
2: know I know what you mean. It's the same thing for the S sixty. I had the S sixty bullshit. And like why the hell? Would the target consumer who buys those <laughs> manually adjust their shock? It is that like, if you are
1: paying sixty nine thousand dollars for a vehicle and you have to get out of that vehicle, pop the hood, lean over <laughs> a messy engine bay, and turn a wrench or or a dial or a knob, that is a fail on a product design uh, spec sheet because there is not a single customer in that demographic. At that price point, buying a crossover, who wants to do that? It should be a button that you push on the console and you go from sport to normal like every other vehicle in the segment. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's not even a question. At the back, you have to adjust those separately separately. So there's, like, another compartment you have to open up in the cargo area to access these manual adjustments. So if, if you want to, like, balance out how the car feels, you're going to have to go back and <laughs> forth, back and forth. I mean, if, if, for the S60 and the V60, it's a tiny bit more understandable because those are cars you could conceivably drive in a high-performance environment. 0.00% of Polestar-engineered X60 owners will ever be on a racetrack. So <laughs> it, it, when I had the car it was a, it was stiff it felt very stiff and it boomed over some bumps and stuff and it just didn't feel super smooth or luxurious from a ride perspective but i'm not about to get out when it's below freezing and fiddle around with suspension settings that i you know <laughs> barely understand as an owner to fix that and i think that's a huge problem with this vehicle and i don't understand volvo's perspective
2: um, however i will i will say ben sorry to interrupt you that um those when you when you pop the hood and you look at those adjustments and the, the the strut tower brace, that's one of the most beautiful strut tower braces I've seen in my entire life. But is it, it worth
1: $30,000?
0: <laughs> <worth>
2: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know.
0: The most attractive strut tower brace. We'll get that award out for the end of the year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know okay, you mentioned the price of uh, 69,000. that is identical almost to the uh, BMW X3M, which has uh, 473 horsepower. It does zero to 60 in 4.1 seconds. Where does this T8 uh, XE60 uh, measure up? It, so- does it measure
1: up? It produces 415 horsepower and 494 pound-feet of torque. You have a a 2-liter turbocharged and supercharged engine that only drives the front wheels. And then you have an 87-horsepower electric motor that only drives the rear wheels of the vehicle. And Mm -hmm. all of that's tied together with an 11.6 kilowatt-hour lithium-ion battery. So... If you're asking me how they compare, I mean, on paper, that doesn't look like a huge difference. In the real world, the BMW destroys the Polestar (laughs) in every meaningful way. Uh, I don't think either vehicle is fun to drive. I know will likes the x three so he'll he'll probably have something to say about that but i I think they're both very puzzling vehicles in the sense that neither of them are something I would choose to drive for pleasure, like from a, a spirited driving standpoint but if you if you were to if this was a universe where those were the only two choices, the x three is a clear choice by a, a margin that is so large I can't even describe it using the English language um, <laughs> The weird thing about the Volvo is. You can also drive it like a regular plug in EV, just on battery power alone. And I did that a lot. In fact I did that most of the time when I had it. And it told me I was going to get about twenty five miles per charge. It was cold when I was driving it, so I probably got forty percent of that rate. And uh it it has decent power on battery alone and it's only powering the rear wheels, so it's it's like a stealth rear wheel drive crossover, which I kind of appreciate. Yeah, you can
2: drift you can actually drift it in the snow and it's all in all electric. <laughs> That's pretty
1: fun. And, uh, and uh, the weird thing is, though, if you get wheel spin, it, it tags in the all-wheel drive, and then it t- turns on the motor, and it keeps the motor on for quite a while. Like, it's hard to get the motor to turn off again. It has, I guess, a preset amount of time it has to run, and that was a little bit annoying. So, like, for, like, a second's wheel spin, you pay for it with gas, regardless <laughs> of how much – regardless of whether the pavement smooths out in front of you or not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And,
0: it's an amazing green driving, Coach, by punishing you with the, with the fuel. Oh, and you
1: can't, you can't turn it off either. Like, it has a pure mode. And if you, if you have the engine on and you switch it to pure mode, which is supposed to be EV only, I mean, nothing happens. <laughs> it's on its yeah. own time. So you got to wait for it to figure things out. But if you go to the Polestar Engineering mode, which is supposed to be where everything is working together to make it wait, as quick as possible. no, stop. You need to stop. The sporty mode of the car is called Polestar Engineering mode? It's called Polestar Engineered yeah that's yeah. what it's called and you access yeah. it via a little steel <laughs> roller on the center console that is the most ostentatiously by design only interface you'll ever encounter in a vehicle it's it's more than a little weird also like the fact that to turn it on you have to twist a dial on the center console to the right and then to turn it off you have to twist it to the right again i mean that's not that's not the best uh oh, way right, to,
0: the, you know the, the ignition nub there
2: yeah um, you know you know what? Yeah. Sorry, when I just want to say, like, when it's it's funny because you're talking about all this, and I feel I went to the product launch of the uh, it was the S60 Polestar Engineer, which is basically the same thing with a different body. Um, and we had driven both uh, drivetrains, the T8 that that whole hybrid you're talking about right now, and we drove the T6, which is the standard non-hybrid turbo and supercharged four-cylinder. I don't know about you guys, but I feel that they they had a missed opportunity where, with with that whole Polestar engineering stuff. They should have put it. They should have just taken the T6 and made a sports sports SUV or sports sedan out of the T6. I f- I feel the T6 is a more complete, a more coherent drivetrain. I just find the T8, it just it just feels like they're trying to do everything at once and it fails. That it, it doesn't know what it wants to be.
1: No, I think you're right because I think uh, for Volvo they don't really want to make an actual performance SUV. They want to make a a um, green washed kind of sh- look at us, this is our cool technology, this is what we can do, and we can charge you a lot of money for it, SUV. And I think Polestar has evolved away from the sportier vehicles that they first offered in North America to what we have now. And the way it drives, I mean, I completely agree with you. It, it, when you're in the Polestar engineered mode and you floor the gas, yeah, it's fast, but it feels super strange. It's, it's like a yep. constant, it's, you know, people talk about how CVTs feel like a rubber band. This feels mm-hmm. like a rubber band in the same way that you're constantly being stretched towards the speed you're heading at. And it's hard to tell how you're gathering that speed. It doesn't feel linear in the same way that you would expect from a, a traditional yeah. gas motor. Um, it feels like yeah, I it's, mean, it's nothing, it's about this
0: car, yeah, nothing about this car would be, would be linear. Maybe the electric motor and that's it. But it's also trying to balance an electric motor with a turbocharged and supercharged engine. It sounds like it's trying to do a lot, and I don't think even expecting it to be linear would be um, appropriate, but does it deliver all that power, that torque? Does it It, feel special?
1: It, it doesn't feel special. It doesn't feel fun. It just feels quick. And I, you know what? I almost never used the
0: Polestar Engineered mode. I just wasn't into it. I preferred that doesn't the. doesn't sound exciting. I can't imagine not. the mode not. being called Polestar Engineered and me being like, "Oh yeah, baby, <laughs> time to go into Polestar Engineered." Honestly, <laughs> I liked
1: it in EV mode. That's that's what I drove it around the most in. And and when the engine comes on, like either because you run out of battery or because there's some wheel spin or whatever, the engine is rough when it first comes oh. on. It, it, oh yeah. It, it's, it's right. not it's – a, it's a weird experience, and it's it's too bad because I like every – aside from the infotainment screen, we've talked about Volvo in the past. I find it's way too busy, tiny fonts. I'm getting old. I can't see what's happening. Yeah, um, you
0: need your bifocals. I
1: need my my, my trifocals. And as, aside from that, I like everything else about this vehicle. And like Will said, it looks great. And I think that if the smart money is buying the regular T8 where you don't have to worry about all the weird performance stuff. Or just buying a T6 and just enjoying the yep. vehicle for what it is. I love the XC40. I like the XC60 a lot. Uh, I think Volvo's doing great things in the crossover world. I, I think that the Polestar Engineered is not one of those things. I think this is, I don't think anyone's going to buy this. This is like the ultimate in niche vehicles. I think you have to be a Volvo super fan or an EV super fan to even consider looking at this at that price point.
2: Yeah. I, I, have, I, mean, I had one thing about reliability too. I mean. Poor four-cylinder. That thing is being like it's supercharged. It is it is turbocharged. I mean, I I'm not I'm not sure that that engine is going to last long. You know, it, it, it's and especially as all that hybrid stuff. I mean, it, it's going to be a high maintenance vehicle on a long-term basis.
1: It could be a fast and furious danger to manifold situation. I mean, we just don't know. <laughs> it's too early to tell, and and, and that's going to scare off uh, buyers as well.
0: Yeah, uh, I find it interesting because in the past, a car being considered Polestar engineered used to be the performance model, but now uh, Polestar is an electrified brand. I mean, we thought with the Polestar 1, we're going to see it with the Polestar 2, I suppose. Um, Polestar is supposed to now mean electrification. And would you say that if, the, if they had gotten rid of all the sporting aspirations of this vehicle and just focused on it being a very good electrified variant of the XC60, would that have been more successful?
1: That vehicle already exists. It's the T8.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, that's already
1: it. there. And so, what, we, what we're looking at here is greenwashed performance. Interesting. Uh, that's okay. all it is. It's brand building, and it's trying to create a world where Polestar is associated with all of the things you just mentioned.
0: Right. Very cool.
2: And again, you can get a. You know, we said it before. I mean, from from a performance standpoint, it's very disappointing. You get an X3 M or even a Mercedes AMG uh, GLC 43, which what I'm driving right now, which will give you a lot more performance. Uh, yeah. And, similar money
1: yeah so it's 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 an all-around vehicle a strange vehicle that i don't think has a market i don't think it has a customer and i think this is going to be probably the slowest seller in the in the volvo lineup very cool all right again that might be by design it it might just be something they created so they can advertise that exists and it's a prestige thing and they don't care you know
0: well yeah, yeah there might be somebody walks into the dealership and says i want the most expensive volvo you got I want the
1: most expensive XC60. Well, don't forget yeah. the, the V60 and the S60 Polestar when they came out, they were limited to something like fifty or a hundred units for North America. Mm-hmm. So Volvo's not really—they don't need to make money on this car. Um, and I'm sure—I'm not even sure there's any profit to be had on a vehicle like this. So I, I, again, it's Volvo's on a very interesting path. They do make a lot of cool cars. This doesn't—this
0: just doesn't happen to be one of them. All right. So, time to do some b- brand building of our own uh, as we close up this podcast. Uh, first of all, Will, thanks again for coming on to the podcast. Let's remind the listeners where they can find your work. Um, yeah, was it was my
2: pleasure. I, w- I really liked uh, being on the show. So, you can find my work on The Drive,
0: um, on Jalopnik, and uh, my own website, claveeathcorner.com. Amazing. And for us... You know, dear listener, we've told you about this website a couple of times, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. While you're over there, you can see all of our past episodes. You can subscribe to the podcast using your favorite uh, podcatcher or whatever you want to call it, podcast client. You can search for us in your podcast client. We're there, I promise. And if we're not, you better let us know. Um, Additionally, while you're at the website, you can get in touch with us. There's a contact form there. You fill that out and boom, it goes right into our inbox. Furthermore, if you want to email us. Very easy to do. You go to your email. You go to the two section. You write Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And bam, that's one of us. You got it. Uh, and uh, if you if you want to get a hold of us on social media, you can do that uh, in a couple
1: of ways too. There's Sammy on Twitter if you feel like putting on a uh, flame-proof suit. It's at Sammy <laughs> underscore ha like you're laughing. And if you want to find me on Instagram, which is a far more friendly and just honestly better overall experience, you can find me at Hunting Benjamin. Uh, I also wanted to say that if you did want to support or check out the Kickstarter for my graphic novel, you can do that at code-45.com.
0: It's really um, worth it, guys. I recommend it. So thanks again, Will, and thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Ben, what are you driving next week? Next week, I'm going to be talking about the Toyota. RAV4
1: Trail Edition, Sammy. TRD Trail Edition. Ooh.
0: And I've got the Honda Pilot and Toyota Highlander to discuss. You can (laughs) never have too much pilot talk. That's right. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.